0: Christopher Landon grew up watching horror movies from a very early age, inappropriately so, about six years old, she said, when he knew exactly what he wanted it to be. He followed the pretty traditional route, making shorts in high school, working internships, a young adult, and pursuing the path to screenwriting. In this interview, we talk about some of his work, including Disturbia, Scout Sky to the Zombie Apocalypse, Viral, Happy Death Day to You, Freaky, and five films in the Paranormal Activity franchise, along with his new film for Netflix, We Have a Ghost. In this interview, we talk about lightning bolt inspirations, John Hughes meets Alfred Hitchcock, Paranormal Activity Universe, writing film footage as a genre, and some of his best advice for pitching and writing spec scripts. This interview is also available on the Creative Screenwriting website.
1: I grew up watching horror films, um, and I started at a pretty, a pretty early age, um, inappropriately so, and um, probably like when I was about six Um, and I was just obsessed. I was obsessed with, with movies. Um, And um, it was never a doubt or a question in my mind that it, that it was what I was going to do. Like I was making short films when I was a kid all through high school. Um, You know, as soon as I graduated high school, I, you know, studied film production while I also had internships at production companies. So I could actually be exposed to movie making and reading scripts um, and that was all I did. I just lived and
0: breathed it. And so it was, it was that or nothing. Did you see any, any, I've recently heard, I think Ron Johnson say it could, it could be dangerous. Some of the early film jobs, if you're not on the right path to actually being a writer or being director, did you see any of your peers kind of maybe get stuck in second unit or PAs or something like that? How did you surpass any of that early on?
1: Um, I mean, honestly, I, I, haven't had friends get stuck in any particular gear., um, but I know that it happens. I I mean, I think for me it was I, the 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 great benefit to the internship, which I really would credit and on, on the writing side of my career, was that, you know, I was exposed to so much material, both good and bad. And so it was a really good education for me. I just sat there and I covered scripts for, for this company. Um, And so it was my job to do script analysis all day long. Um, And, and what it inspired me to do was to write. Um, And so any free time that I had outside of school and work, I would just sit and write and write and write. Um, And so when I finally started to to try and step out into, into the world, I had I had material that I could share with people. I had spec scripts that I could show people um, that were essentially writing samples, but it's how I got my first job, my first writing job. Um, because I made I made a short film that kind of did a, a small festival circuit and a producer saw it and asked me if I had anything. And sure enough, it was ready, you know. Um and I always tell people, you know, a lot of people who talk about, um, you know, breaking into the business and sort of how do you do it and what's the best path. And I always say, you know, if you can write, write, you know, because that is you controlling your own IP. That is you having a ticket to, you know, getting in front of people.
0: Um, And I think that's, that's critical. Hmm. So this next part may have changed over the years. I know sometimes you're running specs, sometimes you're hired for jobs. For the spec scripts you write, what does your idea phase look like? Are you are you kind of making a long list of high concept ideas? And then how do you choose which one to pursue? No, it's it's never like that. It's, it's always sort of that, hopefully, that lightning bolt
1: of inspiration for one idea. Like, I'm not like a factory brain. Like, I can't sit there and be like, I'm going to write 12, you know, log lines and see which one sticks. Um, so for me, it's about inspiration coming from a myriad of different places. You know, it can be a a lyric in a song, it could be a photograph, it could be a short story, it can be um, a personal experience. Um, I try to sort of hew to things that are, you know, as character driven as possible. So I'm not like, it's funny, I, I work in a space that might be deemed high concept where I often will blend genres or mash up ideas um, but I always try to start with it with a at a place of character. Um, and what I usually do is if I have this sort of inspiration, I tend to sit down with a notepad and a pen, um, not a computer. Um, I handwrite everything at first. Um, I also will, as the, as the sort of idea begins to evolve, I also start putting together like a playlist for the movie in my head because I kind of need a soundtrack for it um, and that helps sort of generate even more ideas, but I try and just kind of push through the idea as far as I can get it mm-hmm. um and and if it keeps going, that's usually the indicator that it's working and that it's something that I want to pursue. Like if I kind of am halfway through an idea and I just hit an impassable roadblock, it's usually the story's way of telling me this isn't it, mm-hmm. or at least this isn't it right now and I'll put that away. And sometimes they come back, but, um, but honestly, more often than not, when I kind of latch on to an idea and I start to develop it, I can usually see my way through to the end of the film, at least a version of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I go back and I start figuring out, okay, what did I fuck up here?
0: (laughs) Is there a point where... You're looking at other films as kind of research to see what are the rules of that subgenre of horror. Like I I would have missed was years ago, but I imagine when you wrote Disturbia, you eventually rewatched Rear Window. Um, is that. So that's, what's funny is that I do the opposite. Mm -hmm. I do the opposite. I avoid
1: movies that I think might be similar. Um, because I don't want that to sort of taint or pollute what I'm trying to do. Um, and so I try and find inspiration from, from, different kinds of films that might evoke a certain feeling or a tone. Um, But I don't go back to a movie that feels similar or, you know, that feels close to it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Rear Window is a different situation because that was a film that I had very much dedicated to memory. I don't need Mm -hmm. to go back and see it again. I've seen it 20 times. Um, And so for me, it was more about going to John Hughes, you know, mm-hmm. looking at movies like that, because that was really what I was trying to bring to the table with Disturbia. Um, it was, it was the Hitchcock is there, clearly, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's the bedrock of the idea. But for me, it was how do I introduce a younger audience to Hitchcock, but also by way of John Hughes. And so I went back and was watching Pretty in Pink, and I was watching stuff like that, um, because mm-hmm. I wanted that kind of element in the
0: movie. How did you kind of first get involved with the pernumal activity world universe? By accident. Um, it's it's a really funny
1: story. So, and I hope this isn't too long and boring for your, your listeners. No, um, <laughs> uh, so I had started to work with Jason Blum. Um, and at the time he had a producing partner, a guy named Steven Schneider, who's like a genre God, like this guy knows everything out in the genre world. Um and Jason and Steven invited me over to Jason's house. They said, oh, we have this movie that we just acquired. We don't know what it is exactly yet, but since you're such a horror fan, you're like our first person that we want to show it to. Um, and Jason, I don't think, had even seen it yet. Like I think Steven saw it at a festival and then um, they were sort of dealing with it. Um, and so I went over to Jason's house and I watched the, the original film, which this was before they they, they reshot stuff. It was mm. kind of its, its very original version. Um, and it scared the fuck out of me. Um, and I remember turning to Jason and I was like, I don't know what you guys are going to do with this thing, but this is in, this is insane. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, they sold it to Paramount. Paramount actually planned to scrap it and shoot a non-found footage version of the movie. Um, and then I know that Jason and some of the executives at Paramount really fought hard to get them to test it, just to put it in front of an audience and start testing the movie. And of course, you know, I think the rest is history. Um, cut to years later, they are making a sequel um, and they have shot, I think about three weeks worth of material without a script. <laughs> they decided that they could do it the Orin Pelly way, which is like, we'll just wing it with just a sort of vague idea of what we want the story to be. Um, and the results were disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, they had nothing. And so the studio kind of panicked, they shut production down, and then they did a writer's room where they invited a bunch of screenwriters together and they showed us like a very rough assembly of what they had, and then they sort of pitched a bunch of sort of ideas, you know. And mm-hmm. it was a really funny experience because I'm a very I'm a very honest and a very emotional person, and I sort of wear everything on my sleeve. And I'm in this room with all these other writers, and they're all going, "Wow, this is super cool. This is great." And I had my arms folded and I had a frown on my face. And the head of the studio looked at me and he goes, "What's wrong? Like, what, what, what do you think?" And I was like, "I think your guys are in trouble." I was like, "This isn't good. This doesn't work." <laughs> I was like, and it's not scary. And so I kind of said, "You need to have moments." And and I pitched in the room. I pitched the scene in Paranormal Two where um, Christy gets ripped out of the nursery and pulled down the stairs into the basement. And the studio guy, he pulled me aside after the meeting and he was like, will you go write that scene for us? And I was like, what? And I'm like, you want me to write a scene? They, I did it. Um, And then it gets weirder. Then the head of the studio said, okay we want you to write half the movie the back half of the movie and this original writer is going to write the first half of the movie. And then we both turned our halves in expecting them to somehow fuse and they didn't. And so then they, they brought me on full time and had me write the whole movie. Um, and that's what we made. And it was interesting because I think the the lesson of it was, okay, sometimes there's a lightning in a bottle moment and you can and you can kind of wing something if you're orn pelly and you're shooting things on the weekends and you're just spitballing but otherwise you should have a script <laughs> like even if it's found footage even if actors are improving a lot like you need a script and so from that point forward um i was writing very formal
0: you know scripts for each for each film Was there any hesitation there? Were you pretty confident? Were you worried like, my agent's going to kill me for doing this? Or was it just like, you felt like you had to kind of speak up?
1: I was petrified. I lived in a constant state of fear in my career, at least earlier in my career, in terms of like, I'll never work. No one's going to hire me again. And I still kind of feel that way. Um, But I know, I mean, for me, it was like, wow, I'm in a room and I have I have, you know, the filmmakers and I have the head of the studio listening to me, paying attention to me. I better seize this opportunity um, and I better nail it. You know, and that that was sort of my approach. It was a, a mixture of, of confidence and absolute terror. Um, and I remember like when I would pitch things like my palms would be dripping sweat and I'd be like all shaky and crazy. Um, but I just wanted it so badly you know, that I just was, was willing to do anything. And even if it was unorthodox or, you know, something that some people might deem sort of, Oh, they're taking advantage of you. They're asking for free work or whatever. I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like (laughs) I want the gig. Um,
0: And so that's what I did. So you went on to write two, three, four, and also the marked ones, uh, somewhere between seeing the first one, which you loved and writing the second one. Did you feel like it was this limitless world of multiple characters, like kind of a new genre, or did you feel like this might be difficult to keep coming up with these ideas? It was both. I
1: think it was both. I think it was, it was, I saw the potential and I saw that there was an opportunity to kind of really build the world out um, and kind of jump around in time and also, you know, use different kinds of formats, you know, to sort of help tell a found footage story that said, you know the the subgenre of found footage felt very limiting um you know it's really hard it's it's something i've tried to really i've, I've tried to talk about in the past with people a lot of people think found footage looks easy to make and it is mm-hmm. the opposite i think it's harder to make a found footage film than a traditional film just because you can't rely on all the sort of tricks and things that you normally have you don't have coverage You know, you have to explain why someone's holding a camera, which is impossible. Sometimes you don't have a score to help inform how you want to feel in a moment. So there's a lot of things that you're up against when making a movie like that. Um, And again, I think we were all just kind of having fun, trying to figure out how far we could push this thing, which was and we pushed it well past its expiration date for sure. Um, But we made some fun, some fun movies and, and did some kind of cool, innovative things, you know, over the course of that franchise.
0: So a lot of horror movies historically have like some fun moments or lighter moments or lighter characters. When did you kind of start to move towards like comedy horror that was something like freaky? You know, I have always made it a point
1: to infuse my work with humor. I try, I don't consider myself a funny person, but I think that I have a sense of humor. Um, and so even with Disturbia, like there are a lot of, humorous moments in that film um, because I find that it's a very powerful tool to engage the audience, to endear them to your characters. Like if your characters are funny or doing funny things, then I think the audience is willing to go along with them more so that you can finally drop them into peril, you know, and, and into scary moments. And then I think they're invested. Um, and so, you know, the first, when we test screened the marked ones, um, back in the day, the first 20 minutes of that movie played like a comedy. Like the audience was roaring with laughter. Um, And that's how I knew that I had them, you know? So I've always tried to be funny. Once I got to Happy Death Day, and then even more so Freaky, that was where I was very much invested in in the idea of just going straight horror comedy. Actually, I even did it before with Scouts. Um, But I've always loved the horror comedy subgenre I've always thought it was really fun to try and blend those two and it's a very um, particular I think type of of thing because I know a lot of people that don't like horror comedies they don't want them pushed together they want to have either just a horror movie or the, just a comedy you know mm-hmm. um, but I grew up on on Raimi and you know Gremlins and all kinds of stuff where I felt like it was
0: such a such a fun pairing does it does it read funny on the page to you when you write a script like that? Or is it more about when you see it in the actor delivery and some of that stuff? I mean, I think it can read funny um, for sure. Um,
1: I think people laugh when they read, when they read the the script. Um, But sometimes it's really in the performance, you know, there was so much in happy death day that I think ended up being funny because of the actors, you know, I think Jessica Roth delivered such a, big, very wild performance mm. in the movie that there were moments where I was like, I did not see that coming for sure. And it was just there on set.
0: So tell me about your, your latest project. How did you first kind of get involved or pitch? We have a ghost. So
1: um, we have a ghost is based on a short story um, called Ernest. Um And I, one of my, Agent sent me the short story a long time ago and I read it and I immediately fell in love with it. And we talked earlier about how sort of the lightning bolt, you know, and I immediately sat down after reading that short story and started writing the outline for the movie. Like I knew what it was immediately. Um, and I felt like it was this kind of Amblin kind of opportunity for me. Um, you know, I grew up on those movies as well. And um it's not that I wanted to like I was I didn't tell myself, wow, you need to write ET, you know um, but it was more like this is a this is a movie I understand and something that I want to explore and a character I'm really interested in. And it was a really fresh take on an old ghost story. you know, I'd never read anything quite like it. Um, and so I fell in love with it and it was just you know something I pursued aggressively. and I finally sold the pitch. With the with the short story to a company called legendary um, and they're known for making giant monster movies you know like all the Godzilla movies and whatnot um and eventually they were very honest with me and they were like we just don't think we can get this movie made here mm-hmm. um and then I was able to take the script over to to Netflix and they read it and got it and so it kind of moved quickly after that even though it was years plural, um, in, in the making. Um, but I finally, you know, found a home for it and was able to get it going.
0: I would imagine you've probably got several things like that going on. Um, do you have any advice on just like persistence, like staying with something long-term long haul, that type of thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I never give up on, I never give up on a script that I love, you know, just in the way that I think it's a stupid analogy, but I'll make it, um, in the way that you would never give up on your child you know like I feel like all my all my projects are my are my babies in some way um, and I try to keep finding ways to push them up the hill and I have stuff even now like I've got I have one script that I've been carrying around for over a decade that I am hellbent on on making um, but it can take time and you just have to be patient and you have to kind of figure out where things can line up because it's really about like the right the right company and the right buyer and the right you know sometimes it's the right attachment or it's just it's always and it's so cliche but it's timing timing is everything um but also it's important about knowing when you have something that maybe is just not worth fighting for too like i've had a couple of those where i was like out there banging the drum and it was like no you're wasting your time like move on like pick something else um and figure that out um but, you know, it's just, it really does depend on, on the timing. I think.
0: So this may be the, the wrong phrasing, but, um, at what point in your career, I imagine you always wanted to be a filmmaker yeah. as well. When did you start to pitch yourself as a writer director? How did you kind of come in? Does, does that give you extra leverage? Does it make it harder at least in the beginning? I it's funny. I did not set out to direct.
1: I was not, it was not a career goal. Weirdly. I was very content writing. Um, And I, I ended up directing my first film very much by accident. Um, And I think that the film shows it. (laughs) Um, I, I had a script, I had a very weird script that was like all of my sort of, I had a lot of weird shit rolling around in my head and I dumped it into one thing. And it was an, it was an anthology film. And then, uh, it was one of those scripts that kind of got passed around, I think, quite a bit because it was weird and funny and dark and fucked up. And then a a friend of mine who you know works in the business called me up one day and was like, "Hey, I met these people who have money and they <laughs> want to make your movie and they are even open to you directing it." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay,
1: that's weird." um and i did and they 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 financed the whole movie um and gave me a lot of money to go make a, a, a my first film and um and it was all like i said very much by accident but on the end of that experience i learned so much it was a trial by fire for me and it and i was bit by the bug or i was like okay I fucked a lot of things up in this movie, but now I know I think how to do it a little bit better the next time. And I also really enjoyed that. And I, and I think I realized in the process that I writing is, can be very lonely. Um, yeah. And I, it was such a thrill for me to get out of my fucking apartment and, and, work with people and collaborate with people um, and make something with them. You know, it felt like summer camp for me and I was really excited about it. And so I was very eager
0: to do it again, um, but to try and do it better. Did those early directing jobs change your writing at all? The way you wrote exposition or scene cuts or anything like that? It did. It did inform the process quite a bit. Um, I think more from a
1: practical standpoint, you know, it was more sort of like, okay, how can I start writing now with a little bit of a budget in mind? Um, Or, you know, like, are there different ways that I can approach a scene that would be more cost effective? Just knowing that like, that is what ultimately drives so much of what we do in this business. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to make sure that I understood now that I understood how production works. I was like, oh, I should probably not add 20 children to this scene if I don't need them," You know, and I did. I didn't know that before. You know, so I would have like, you know, a monkey and all kinds of shit. And I was like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Um, And I think that was sort of the biggest thing for me. It was just really understanding how production works and what the limitations are and how you can kind of let that inform what you're doing.
0: (laughs) Do you have to do anything maybe like internally to kind of separate those, those different hats or those parts of the mind? Do you have like, okay, I'm going to be completely creative on this draft. And then like the next edit I may cut back with budget in mind. Do you separate it that way at all. I do. And sometimes it's a forced separation. Um, you know, so,
1: um, I always try to write the best version of the movie first, you know, whatever that is and however big that might be. Um, What's interesting, and I'll use We Have a Ghost as as a good example, um, I actually did the opposite because when I wrote that movie, that first draft, I was coming off of Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2, and I had been in the sort of low-budget world for a while, you know, the Blumhouse model for a while. And so when I delivered my first draft, I remember Mary Parent, who runs um, Legendary, she was like, this feels small. She's like, I want you to write bigger. Like you can go for this. And I was like, oh fuck, like I forgot about that. So I went back and like really went and and built out some really fun, big set pieces. And then I was like, oh, I can actually, I can do this. But, um, But yeah, I mean, I will, now I try to write sort of whatever I think the best version of the movie is. And then once, if I'm lucky enough for it to get to the next stage, where it's really being considered for production and we're maybe going to get a green light. Then I start getting kind of the notes from the studio where they're like, okay, like this, you went crazy. You need to calm down. Um, And then it's about trying to sort of figure out how to get the movie to fit into the budget box without compromising the integrity of, of what I'm trying to do.
0: I spoke with um, Alfred miles recently who did Wednesday for Netflix. and They talked a little bit about the pitch. So like, leaving the part aside where you have to kind of build a reputation and have a great idea and all the obvious stuff to get into the room. Do you have any advice about maybe specifically pitching to Netflix or making a compelling pitch? Oh God, pitching. Pitching is very hard
1: for me, especially I think, because I'm not a very performative person. And I think good pitching requires a certain kind of, of, performance and uh, a certain kind of panache or whatever that I, I feel like I sorely lack. I've gotten much better at it. Um, I think the key for me is, is you have to memorize it from top to bottom as much as possible. Like I need to know every single word in that pitch so that I can throw it away so that I know it so secondhand. And I always tell people like, know your pitch so well that like you could sit down in any, coffee shop or restaurant or whatever, and just sort of tell the person the story. Like you were telling a story that is yours and familiar to you, you know, Um, that I think is the best advice. And it's so basic, but it's true. You know, I I've been in pitch meetings with other writers where they had their laptop and they're like pages up and they sometimes would refer to it and start reading from it. And I'm like, no, don't do that. (laughs) Um, And I mean, look, so many pitches now are, are on zoom, you know, like post COVID, like so many writers and myself included, you know, I'm still pitching stuff over zoom. Um, and that is amazing. It's my favorite version of pitching now because like I can literally make everyone go away. I can hide everyone looking at me. So I don't have to make eye contact with people and then I can have my pitch stock up and they don't know it. Um, so I think there's a lot of, there's a huge benefit to that for me at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to really get better at pitching. My first pitch is probably the most horrific, embarrassing story that anyone could ever have. Um, and it almost made me want to quit altogether. It's, it was very scarring. Um, and so I feel like I've definitely come a long way, but it just takes time and practice.
0: Is the, is the pitch useful anywhere else? Like, is it um, some version of it, like helps you in terms of like a North Star to write the full version? Do you work, do you, or is it something you're always thinking about? I mean, the pitch, I mean, for me, it's
1: it's weird because the pitch and the outline aren't that different. You know what I mean? Like the pitch is sort of the condensed version of whatever my outline is, you know, because and that was my first mistake too, is another sort of piece of advice. I had a horrible habit of writing very long pitches. They were too long. Like I was like, I'm going to just pitch for 45 minutes to an hour. And I was like, no, like everyone's eyes were glazing over and falling asleep. I had one guy tap his watch, you know, in a meeting. (laughs) Um, And um, so I had to learn how to kind of figure out how to condense it and make it a little more fun. Um, But I mean, it's funny. Like, I'll be honest. I've, I really try not to pitch now. I would rather write a movie. It takes so long to get a good pitch done that I feel like I can write a first draft in the amount of time it would take me to get a pitch ready. Mm-hmm. So unless I absolutely have to pitch something, then like I'll do it. But I would rather write the movie and just go out as a spec and try and do it that way. And I, I, it's it's really not, the time difference for me is not is not huge. And at least I have something that is, tangible and something I can control and something that can't be because that's the other thing I don't like about pitching um, especially in the movie world which is you invite too many cooks to start meddling as opposed to like here's my movie here's the script and sure let's work within the parameters of this thing that I have otherwise you know in your pitch suddenly your main character is a completely different person and then like everyone's just starting to fuck with it and I hate that um, so I actually try not to pitch now.
0: Do you see any other, uh, we're almost out of time here, but do you see any other just value in, in writing spec script? It sounds like you were very willing to persevere and take that time. And if you believe in the idea, you'll take a month or multiple months to write something mm-hmm. but like advice for those young writers who are maybe hesitant to put the work in just like any advice about writing specs, whether or not they sell. I mean, there's
1: no downside there's no downside to writing a spec in my opinion because you know even if it doesn't sell and by the way most of them don't you know what i mean like i've written dozens of scripts that never sold that never saw the light of day but i learned from every single one you know and i'm not going to learn from a pitch really like i'm not going to i'm not going to grow as a writer from just coming up with pitches after pitch after pitch you become a better writer by writing you know? And so I don't see the downside in it, you know, and it's, yeah, it's time consuming. It's a big time suck, but like, you know, if you love it and it's what you want to do, well, what else are you going to do? Like, if you can find that time, if you can squirrel the time away, because I understand that like people have jobs and they have lives and they have kids and they have all kinds of shit that they're dealing with. But if you have two hours in your day, even if it's later at night, you know, to just sit down and write, start writing your movie. Just do that. Like it's so much better than hanging all your hopes on a pitch and then sort of, you know, going out that way. Um, and because I do think that pitches can lead to a lot of roadblocks in the end. And I do think that most, I think generally, you have way more success with a script
0: if that's where you're starting from. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting here. If you're looking for some more information though, some more about the craft of writing for television, Uh, We have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, This includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on check that out uh, you can get this all right now for one dollar at scriptmastermind.com television that is the television screen running master it is at scriptmastermind.com television we'll see you next time with a new episode